So here, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, it's just that constant reminder that what we deem as successes and what we deem as failures could be completely off. We have no idea. What we think could be like the biggest success of our lives in the moment that we're celebrating, that we're telling all our friends about, that we're posting all over social media, you know, that might not lead to much in the grand scheme of things. And then it's that failure, it's that rejection, it's that being dumped, it's that, you know, that painful experience that we go through, that that actually becomes the catalyst. That becomes the thing that that catapults us to to the most success that changed the course of our life that puts us on the path that we needed to be on. So we have no idea. We're not looking at things through the lens of our entire lives. We just see this little glimpse, this teeny little moment. All grown up. Hey everybody, this is Pauline Goni and you're listening to another episode of the All Grown Up Podcast where we talk about everything, your 20s, your 30s, how hard, how confusing, and how important it is as we make these huge life decisions that are going to affect the rest of our lives, not to put more pressure on us than already is. I'm Paul Angoni. I'm the author of books like 101 Secrets Your 20s, 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, the creator of allgrownup.com, G-R-O-A-N, like you're groaning in pain, which I started, gosh, over eight years ago. And it's been read by millions of people in 190 countries. I'm done talking about how important I am. Let's get right to this episode today, which is going to focus on a lie. Each episode, we always take a secret, a question, or a lie that too many of us are believing. I'm going to take a lie today. It's a lie that I know I struggle with. I've struggled with for many years in my 20s. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've struggled with it too. The lie, I'm just not good enough. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be successful. Maybe even to the point of I'm the least likely to succeed. And I and I talk about this book or this uh, lie in my new book, 25 Lies, 20 Somethings Need to Stop Believing, which is coming out March 2021. Really excited about that. And in one of my chapters, I, I go more in depth in this lie. And we've all felt this no matter you know how successful it looks, you know, on your social media profile. I think we all have this deep, dark fear that I'm just not going to make it. I'm just not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm the least likely to succeed. And in my book, I describe a story of two men who were both hopeful actors. And so they joined the Pasadena Playhouse in California One was uh, older. He was a foreign military vet coming back, and he wanted to get into acting. Another one was not exactly the most good-looking leading man kind of actor face, uh, but they both were going to give it a shot. So they joined the Pasadena Playhouse, and they become close friends because they're both kind of the outcast long shots of the group. And if it wasn't clear enough, they actually got voted together as a tie the least likely to succeed in the yearbook after the semester's end. Why they give people this award? I mean, come on, just kick them while they're down. How did this get through the the yearbook editor? Probably the editor didn't like them. That's why they were allowed to get the least likely to succeed through. But anyway, these two guys, they they take their award and they move to New York and they're going to give it a shot. They're going to give it a try. They're going to keep going for it. They don't care what their classmate said they're going to try anyway. 
So they're living in the studio together. One guy is uh, sleeping on the floor of the kitchen. Doesn't even get, I mean, studio in New York, you don't get a bedroom. You're, you're literally, the kitchen is pretty much the whole apartment. So sleeping on the floor and they would tell stories about, you know, they'd have their headshots and they'd find the address of casting directors in New York and they would slip the headshots under the door and knock and then go running as fast as they could so that they wouldn't actually have to talk to the casting director. And then in pure 20-something fashion, the one of the one of the gentlemen, he worked so many odd jobs. And if you've heard me say before, you know, I think a rite of passage in our 20s is working a bunch of crappy jobs. Maybe you've been there too. I know I can relate. And this gentleman was no exception to the rule. He worked uh, in a psychiatric hospital. He worked as a salesman at uh, Macy's. He worked one at one point stitching together Hawaiian garlands in some factory in New York. And then he even sold uh, hockey tickets, which he knew nothing about hockey. But but it was this story that really stuck to me or that really struck me is that he would describe as he's selling hockey tickets, he would don this kind of French-Canadian accent and he would put on that role of of being this really enthusiastic French-Canadian hockey enthusiast as he's selling hockey tickets. And he would treat each one of these jobs, each one of these crazy odd jobs, is almost as a, a training, uh, an audition. He was learning that part, that role, and he was putting it kind of in his repertoire of, uh, I don't know if that's how you say it, that was my French accent, repertoire. But he would put that in his arsenal, right? That this is kind of him training to be an actor. And it goes back to a, a secret that I talked about before that you sometimes I think we can learn the most in the jobs we like the least. So even if it doesn't feel like, man, this is nowhere close to my dream job, it's like, what can I learn there? What can I gain from this experience? If it's just one thing, what can I pull from this so that I don't have to stay at this lousy job more than I have to, and then I can take it and leverage that into my next quasi-crappy job? So anyway, this actor, he goes through that whole experience of working all these crappy jobs, of trying to get any role he can, of working all these off-Broadway plays, finally starts getting some, you know, bit parts, and then he gets maybe a bigger part, and then becomes maybe a supporting actor in some off-Broadway plays. Long story short, longer story short, finally at the age of 30, he gets his chance to go audition for a, a big Hollywood movie. The director has seen one of his plays, this actor's still a complete no-name actor, but this director really just sees something in him. He's just so unique, and he wants to give him a chance for this for this lead role. So they fly him out to California, and, he, and this actor talks about auditioning for an entire day with all the lights and the cameras, and, and he had to memorize all these lines, and he's there with this you know, good-looking leading lady that they're doing some you know cuddling, intimate scenes, and he it just talked about being so incredibly nervous that he just couldn't stop sweating. He couldn't remember his lines. He just felt, again, maybe that award was coming true, that he just, no matter how hard he worked, he was going to be the least likely to succeed. So much so that after he's finished all the recording, they're wrapping up the day, the prop director comes up to shake his hand, and, and the gentleman, he talks about you know reaching his hand out of his pocket, and as he reaches out, all his subway tokens falls on the floor. 
and the prop director helps him pick it up and 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 gives those tokens back to the, the actor and says, here, you're going to need these. <laughs> Again, another just kick in the pants, right? Just kick me while I'm down, you know. This prop director basically saying like, hey, kid, you're not going to make it. You might want to hold on to these subway tokens because you're going to be riding that for the rest of your life. Anyway, the director still saw something in him. The director still gave him the role. He got the part. And this would then launch this actor's career, who would then win Academy Awards, become this incredibly successful actor, even though he had a face that was not the face of a leading role, which he would admit, and this actor is Dustin Hoffman. And the role he was going for was The Graduate which is this iconic movie. I mean, one of the most iconic movies of the era and is actually talking about this transition out of college and this college students struggle with floating in the water. If you, if you know any scenes from the graduate, there's that scene where he's floating in the scuba deer, scuba gear in the pool uh, in front of his parents and their guests to, to show the scuba gear. And he just feels like he's just floating aimlessly in the water without any sense of what to do next. So the least likely to succeed became Dustin Hoffman. All that training, all those years, all those crappy jobs was leading to that role. And even though he felt like he was still going to be the least likely likely to succeed, one person saw something in him. And sometimes that's all it takes, just one person. Oh, and the other actor who Dustin Hoffman was co-voted least likely to succeed, they were sleeping in the studio together, this actor was Gene Hackman former military vet, started acting late in life. And if you know Gene Hackman, I mean, he felt like he was almost in every movie in the 90s. I I think he's been in some of the most movies of any uh, actor in North America. Just this another iconic actor. So can you believe that these two men, these two stalwarts, these two mainstays of Hollywood for decades were there together in the same class and nobody knew it? Actually, quite the opposite. They they actually were telling them, you're going to be the least li- likely to succeed. And guess what? We don't know anybody else that was in that acting class. Maybe maybe some of them got some you know C roles in Hollywood. I don't know. But I know those two men, the two that were voted least likely, least likely to succeed, became the most successful. So here, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, it's just that constant reminder that what we deem as successes... And what we deem as failures could be completely off. We have no idea. What we think could be like the biggest success of our lives in the moment that we're celebrating, that we're telling all our friends about, that we're posting all over social media, you know, that might not lead to much in the grand scheme of things. And then it's that failure, it's that rejection, it's that being dumped, it's that, you know, that painful experience that we go through, that that actually becomes the catalyst that becomes the thing that that catapults us to to the most success that changed the course of our life that puts us on the path that we needed to be on so we have no idea we're not looking at things through the lens of our entire lives we just see this little glimpse this teeny little moment and along the way we're going to have people that tell us whether it's uh with looks whether it's with you know little comments online or whether it's just plain f- straight out face to face, you know, you're not going to make it. You don't have what it takes. You're the least likely to succeed. And I call those people uh, reality checkers. 
They want to come and check you like a hockey player up against the glass with this dose of reality of, hey, kid, you're not going to make it like that prop director did to Dustin Hoffman. But back to that story, the prop director, when Dustin Hoffman films and raps The Graduate, that same prop director comes with a gift. Dustin Hoffman uh, unwraps it, and it's a framed plaque of subway tokens, which was basically the prop director's way of saying, I'm sorry, and hey, you know what? I don't think you're going to need these anymore. So you can go ahead and frame them and put them on the wall. So if you're struggling with this lie right now that I'm not good enough, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to succeed, it's a lie. It's a lie. And it's going to be a lie, especially if you keep doing the work. If you keep after it, even if you're in just such a lousy job right now, can you can you focus on one thing? Just like Dustin Hoffman selling hockey tickets, working on his French-Canadian accent. Can you focus on one thing in your job that you kind of like or you, you're kind of good at or whatever it is and just try to grow that skill set? Try to learn more about that thing so that you can leverage it into your next experience. Because you are good enough. You can make it. But you're going to have to persevere through some of these obstacles, some of these failures to make that success happen. And sometimes, I know it's been true in my life, I think sometimes our biggest failures, what we see as the biggest embarrassment of all, is what is going to lead to our greatest successes later. It's going to be the thing that that humbles us, refines us, that, that forces us to work even harder, to become more of who we are made to be. That's done through failure. That's, that's rarely done through success. It's rarely done through success. And when people come and ask me, Paul, how do I find what I'm passionate about? How do I find that thing? I tell them it's easy. It's pretty simple. The answer to finding your passion is failure, is failing ridiculously at something, embarrassing yourself, looking so stupid, and yet you still want to do that thing. You still have this desire to try it again. Like Dustin Hoffman trying to get all these bit parts and work on all these lousy jobs because he just had that passion to be an actor. It was just wired within him. Again, that's how you find your passion is through failure, not through success. It's easy to be excited about something that everybody's applauding you for. It's harder to be excited about something and keep trying and keep persevering when everybody's telling you to stop. When you're, they're telling you that you're the least like, likely to succeed. But what do they know? Are they seeing everything through the grand lens of eternity? No. They're looking at you through their own insecurities. They're looking at you through their own, own experiences. And I found the people that are the biggest reality checkers are the ones that they don't want to see you progress. They don't want to see you go further than they have gone. Because maybe they failed at something back when they were in that dreaming, I can do big things kind of stage. And now they've given up. Now they've become comfortable. Now they've become just content at being miserable. You might have worked with some of these people. You might be working next to that person right now. Don't look at them if you're listening to this podcast and they're sitting next to you in that shared cubicle. Don't make eye contact. That'd be awkward. But anyway, those are the people that will tell you, hey, no, you can't do that. You're not going to make it. But taking advice, taking life advice from an insecure person is like taking driving lessons from a five-year-old. If they don't know how to do it, don't listen to them. Don't listen to those reality checkers telling you you're the, you're the least likely to succeed. What do they know? They don't. 
So everybody out there, you haven't missed it. You have what it takes. You are good enough, but you got to keep progressing. You got to keep persevering. You got to keep working at it. And I promise you those failures could be turned into your greatest successes later in life. All right. Thank you, everybody. This is Paul Angoni, and this has been another episode of the All Grown Up Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already to listen to more all grown up goodness down the road. Have a great day, everybody.